The New York Times, yeah. this past Sunday, there was an article about the first black punk rock group called Death in the 70s, and they found these old recordings. I was just trying to, I was trying to create an idea of how to expand rock. My name is Henry Rollins. Henry, I think I know you. Oh, I see. You're a character now. I, well, I just do whatever I feel. You are gonna make me scream like a white lady. <laughs> Woo! Shut up. Okay, welcome to another special edition of Deep Tracks and Rock History. This is another Deep Theory episode in which I am once again joined by my clones to Hello, help me what's up? go through some of the twisty turns yep. of music theory, basic music theory. So twisty. Um, that yeah. I think will, for, for those who have more of an interest in this type of thing and, and really like right. to look in, at music and think about music and yeah. listen to music in a All critical way, not critical as in yeah. harsh, but you know, like critical thinking. Uh, this thinking. will maybe <laughs> help flesh that out for them. Maybe sure, give yeah. them some more stuff to think about. And, yeah. and uh, as you know, it's just kind of fun to to list, look at songs that you enjoy and realize what it is about them that makes them so great. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. So let's do this thing. It's time, time, time for deep theory. Expand your music mind like Timothy Leary. Take your listening experience to a whole new level. See all the nuts and bolts from air supply to heavy metal. Deep theory. Uh, uh, uh. Deep theory. Uh, uh, uh. Deep theory. Uh, uh, uh. Deep theory. I like all my sevenths dominant. Yeah. How's that for a sting? Okay, just answer me this. What happened to you as a child to make you the way you are? That wasn't even a sting. That was like too long to be a sting. It's like it's borderline song. Okay, you know, you know, you, know like, you guys, uh, yeah, fine. You know what? Next time, I'll make you come up with the sting for when we dive into deep theory, and then I will sit back and criticize all of your ideas. <laughs> okay, nice fake cry. The Oscar goes uh, to. Let's start, shall we? So last time we talked about chord progressions, yeah. and so. Uh, it just seems only natural that uh, from that we can start talking about song form because uh, the the structure of songs very often is built around the chord progressions exactly. and the because chord progressions they expand into phrases phrases expand into forms forms create songs so it's it's all the things yeah I mean it's not unlike uh, you know just in literature. Yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, our written language, it has se- words and then sentences, and those sentences are formed using different types of punctuation. You have a sentence that ends with a period or an exclamation mark, or or you might have a semicolon to, to join two similar ideas, you know, but you don't want to completely close off one of them with a sentence, you know, but it's but it's too long to, to not have a semicolon, right? Or you or you might want to use a colon because you're trying to continue an idea. I think they're getting the point. Um, but yeah, it, there's all kinds of ways you can end a musical phrase. In fact, there's even um, there's even a, a piece of music, orchestral music, called uh, the question. You mean the unanswered question? Uh, right. Yeah, the unanswered question. Thank you. Um, and it's uh, it's a piece by Charles Ives. Our man Ives is coming up a lot in these deep theory episodes. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's it's a great example of so in the in the piece there you have this this instrument that's asking a question, um, and the way he kind of creates the music to make it sound like the the trumpet is asking a question, 
And, and then the other ins- instruments come in, um, it's kind of a spin on call and response, really. The, the other instruments come in as a response, but they're not answering the question. They sound more like either they're mocking it or they're just kind of nittering and chattering and, and talking around it. It's, it's definitely a very great musical um, analogy for life, you know, for, for people who toss out kind of deep questions or just questions that have been bothering them and, and just the people around them are just trying to answer it, you know, but they really don't know the answer, but they don't want to appear that they don't know the answer. Yeah, or, so-called experts. Or, yeah, or it's an answer that works for them. Right. It's just, anyway, this is a great, this, this whole piece is a beautiful art piece for life. Yeah, let's stop talking yeah. about it and listen to it. All right, yeah, so it opens with the strings playing these long tones. No vibrato. Makes them sound very pensive. And they just slowly shift from chord to chord. So like we mentioned in uh, the chord progression episode, um, that creates can create a sense of drifting. But it's very beautiful and moving. Yeah, here let's actually jump ahead to where the trumpet comes in with the question. Notice the pitches that it's using are outside the pitch collection of the strings, so it really stands out. It's very stark and kind of disjointed, right? But it, the, even the contour of that musical line, it feels like a question. It starts high, kind of goes back up again. Then the other instruments come in and these discordant... Um, sort of tense harmonies that are kind of a response to the trumpet, but but not really, right? So the trumpet's asking this question, and what's coming back is not helping at all. Yeah, I mean, how many of us can can relate to that in some way? Um, when you're going through something and you're you're kind of looking for answers or looking for comfort or just you know, whatever you're looking for is just, is not being provided, whether, you know, the people around you might have the best of intentions or not. Um, but, uh, I think we can all relate to that in some way. I, I like the, um, I usually avoid reading the comments on YouTube videos cause it's the comment section is always kind of a dumpster fire. But I remember one time, um, uh, just listening to this piece on YouTube. I mean, I, I own it on iTunes, but I, I just happened to pull it up on YouTube one time and, and I, I, I remembered there was a comment that stood out to me and, and luckily I was able to go back and, and find it again. And so I'm going to quote it here. Um, it's from like four years ago, uh, from the commenter it says Pipino or maybe Pipino. I'm not sure how to say it, but, uh, anyway, this person said some years ago, my father introduced me to this fantastic piece of music. Now he has been, uh, diagnosed with Kreutzfeldt Jacob a very lethal and sporadic type of dementia. I've never heard of it. Um, he has become delusional, completely aphasic at times. Yesterday, in another bittersweet moment, we sat on a nearby park watching the kids play, and I questioned him, is there any meaning to this? He just smiled and kept silent. This song just came to my mind. That brought some weight to right. this episode. Yeah, totally. But I, I like it. It just shows how music, even as an abstract sort of a, a thing in life, it, it can just, sometimes it can tackle very concrete experiences, which is for me as a musician, as a composer, as just a music fanboy, 
Um, that's especially that's especially <laughs> exhilarating and exciting. Especially. Shut up. All right. Let's. Uh, how about we demonstrate um, just some of the stuff we've talked about in terms of like punctuation and music, how you can create different types of phrases using chord progressions. And then we can start going into how those phrases form together to create song forms. Uh, especially in this, we're going to be focusing on one form in particular called 12-bar blues that has already come up in the show and will continue to come up, especially with this earlier, um, with these earlier rock artists. Um, but, but then a, down the road, as we look at other blues-based uh, rock artists, um, yeah, 12-bar blues will continue to, to percolate to the top of our discussion. So it's good to tackle it now, and and then people kind of know what, what we're referencing when we when we talk about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so last in our, our first Deep Theory episode, we talked about the doo-wop progression, and that was a, a, a specific chord progression. You know, it starts on the one chord, then it goes to the six chord, and then the four, and then the five. So it, it's, it's talking about specific chords um that kind of cycle around it doesn't it doesn't necessarily talk about the 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 structure the overall structure of the song now 12 bar blues is a little bit more along those lines where we're talking about kind of the the structure of the song so yeah like the it can be different chords so we're not there's all kinds of different um chord progressions that are used within this structure so again this is kind of more so like we're stepping out a little bit more you know, if the chords are like the actual sentences, you know, within, um, you know, with, within something. <laughs> you can't think of the name of something that is a written work. So think of like haikus. Haikus have a specific structure to them. The words within the haiku are different. The message is different, but there's still a, a similar structure. So we could we could look at the same thing with something like 12 bar blues where the chords could be different i mean you, you actually you could even do a doo-wop chord progression within 12 bar blues if you wanted to yeah so 12 bar blues are essentially phrases that are 12 measures or 12 bars long and it's kind of distinctive because of the way that these these measures fall into three groups of four so actually a lot of the music we've looked at so far is in 12 bar blues rocket 88 is 12 bar blues tutti frutti is 12 bar blues Johnny B. Good is 12 exactly. bar blues. Exactly. In fact, you know, there's that um, part in uh, Back to the Future where Marty McFly, you know, the famously plays Johnny B. Good on stage, um, you know, and and, uh, and then the, the one guy who was the front man who injured his hand, you know, he calls up and says, you know, Chuck, this is your cousin, Marvin, you know, you know that new sound you're looking for. But when, when he's first, when Marty McFly is first going to play Johnny B. Good, he turns around to the band and you might think that he just kind of says, you know, like maybe the writers just put in some some stuff that sounds musical and it was just, you know, gibberish. But he's actually given them legit information. He says this is a blues riff in B. And so what he's telling them when he says this is a blues riff, he's he's telling them what pitch collection to use. You know, they're going to be using a blues scale. But also, more importantly, he's telling them that it's going to be in 12-bar blues. So they know the structure of the music. And then when he says in B, he's telling them the key. Although, um, if you listen to the original recording of um, John Be Good, it's actually in B-flat, but that's neither here nor there. All right, so now we're first going to look at uh, Rocket 88. So I put together just this um, little really pared-down version of it that just has a simple drum beat in the background, and then I just play the the bass, or not the bass, the, the guitar riff on a like a 70s funk clav sound that I have on my keyboard. And what we'll do is um, I will go ahead and I will count the beats. And then Alpha Doug, how about you 
will give us the, you'll shout out which section we are. So there's, remember, this is three groups of four measures, and that's what makes it distinct. So how about Alpha Doug? You'll, you'll kind of shout out each time we're in the, as we go through each group of four, and then I'll, I'll like I said, I'll count the beats. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds good. And we should also point out that we're going to be doing uh, actually all the songs that we'll be looking at today. Uh, in a, we'll be performing them in a much slower tempo than the originals just to help people process what's going on. But also, just a reminder, so as, um, as we're counting out the beats, um, these songs are, are all um, in some kind of quadruple meter. And so each time you'll hear when we're counting one, two, three, four, we'll start over again back to one, two, three, four, because each measure has four beats. So as we're counting one, two, three, four, that's one measure. And then we count one, two, three, four again. That's the next measure. And so what this is demonstrating is just how many measures there are in each group. But, you know, within each measure, there's four beats and then there's four measures within each of these three groups. There's going to be a lot of numbers coming at you guys because later on we'll also be calling out um, the chord numbers. So hopefully it doesn't get too confusing with all the numbers, um, but we'll try and make it clear. If we're saying a chord, we'll say the one chord, the two chord. If we're saying the, you know, talking about the grouping of measures, we'll say the first group, the second group, and then the the beat numbers. We'll yeah, just I think they get it. Let's do this. All right, here's the first group two, of three, four. four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, now four, our second one, group of two, four. Three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. And two, now our three, last group four, of four. One, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And even the chord progression. So this is just all a one chord here. We're still on the one chord. Still on the one chord. And now to the four chord. And the four chord. And back to the one chord. It's still the one chord. And then we go to the five. And then to the four. And back to the one. And then briefly we go to the five again. And then it would normally go back to the one after that. So even the, the chords themselves, we're just using three chords. The one, the four, and the five. But the structure itself is, is kind of what gives it that distinct uh, blues sound. So whenever you listen to blues music and you're like, man, it just kind of feels like a blues song. What's interesting is it, it, that's really a lot that has to do with just the structure of the music. Just that, I mean, tons of, millions, trillions of songs use one, four, and five. But it's the way those chords are structured that gives it that bluesy kind of feel. Yeah, let's see how this shakes out in some of the other songs we've talked about. So uh, I also mentioned Tutti Frutti and Johnny Be Good earlier. So let's take a look at Tutti Frutti. So what we'll do is is I will go, in, go ahead and um, just read off the lyrics to Tutti Frutti. And then how about Beta Doug? Do you want to um, shout out the chord? Sure. Uh, the chord number that we're on? I can do that. Meanwhile, Gamma Doug is going to juggle dynamite while balancing on a unicycle. Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, unfortunately, our listening audience will not be able to see this, but trust yep. me, it's going to look amazing here in oh, the yeah, studio. Definitely. Tutti Frutti. This is the one chord. Oh, Rudy. Tutti Frutti. Oh, Rudy. Now the four chord. Tutti Frutti. Oh, Rudy. Back to the one chord. Tutti Frutti. Oh, Rudy. Five, Tutti fruity, four, ah Rudy, back to one. A wop, bop, a loop, bop, a wop, bam, bomb. Got a gal to the one chord. named Sue. She knows just what to do. Now to the four. I got a gal named Sue. Back to the one. She knows just what to do. She rocks Stay to the, the east. One. She rocks to Stay the west. The one. But she's the gal that I love best. Tutti fruity, still on the ah one. Rudy. Tutti fruity, ah Rudy. Now to the Tutti four. Tutti fruity, 
Ah, Rudy. Back to the one. Doody fruity. Ah, Rudy. Doody fruity. Five. Ah, Rudy. Four. A wop, bobble, bop, wop, bam, bum. Right. So same thing we saw before. It's just three chords: one, four, and five. But the the only thing that and it's even the same structure as we saw in Rocket Eighty. Yeah, the twelve bar. So blues. the thing that's different is, um, you know how the the one, four, and five. There's a little bit of difference. Yeah, like he it? really hovers on the one chord for a, a while rather than shifting to the four and five as frequently as Rocket 88. Other differences are the performers, their performance style, and then just the melody and the words. Yeah, I remember when I first started taking music theory in college and just um, being blown away uh, once it dawned on me just how simple most music out there is, you know, like just how many songs out there use just the one, the four, and the five. And, uh, you know, every once in a while you get songs that use chords outside of that, but it's 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 just crazy how many songs, how many different songs you can get from just using the same three chords, and then of course the things that make them sound different, like you just said, is is um, e- even in this case where they're using the same structure, these two songs using twelve bar blues, you know, but you still they're very different songs because of the the instruments and the melody and just you know so many other things that that's that's where the variety really comes in and and makes them stand out. Oh, you know, actually, we forgot to mention um, compliments to Gamma Doug, by the way, for that amazing job juggling the dynamite while balancing on the unicycle. That was truly extraordinary. Yes, thank you. Too bad our listeners couldn't see okay, it. Okay, so now let's do Johnny Be Good. And Alpha Doug, once again, how about you read the lyrics? Um, and then I will also, once again, call out the chord numbers. But then Gamma Doug, go ahead and call out the which section of the three groups of four measures. Yes. Remember, 12 Bar Blues is three groups of four measures each. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans. So on the one chord, of course. Way back up in the woods among the... Evergreen. The there stood a log cabin made of earth and wood. Back to the one. Where lived a country boy named Johnny That's B. Good. The, the second group. Who now never the ever learned to read or write so well, but he could play guitar just one. like a ring and a bell. Go, go. Still the one chord. Go, Johnny. Go, <laughs> go. Still the one chord. Go, Johnny. Go, okay, go. What's happening right now? <laughs> go, this is, Johnny. Okay, go, this is, go. This is feeling almost like we're insulting the Johnny. Be of good, Chuck Berry. Okay, but I think everyone gets the point. How it's the same, same structure. We have the same uh, group of of uh, three groups of four measures, right? And then once again, just like those other songs, he uses. The one chord, the four chord, and the five chord, and it's very similar how the chords are placed, uh, with a few differences, but very similar to how they're placed amongst uh, or within that structure of the three groups of four. And maybe we should make it clear that as as we're pointing out the similarities in these songs, and then just the the simplicity of the harmony, this isn't meant to come across as like we're we're insulting the music or or poo-pooing it, um, there's there's something elegant about um, being able to create, you know, a work of art uh, yeah. that is distinct, unique, that can oh, speak yeah. to a generation. Definitely. That uses just a few basic elements, right? There's, like, more is not always more. <laughs> and there are places where, like, a greater complexity is very interesting in music, and it can, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm one thing I'm excited about when we get to Radiohead is just there's a lot of harmonic complexity that they have right. in the music. That's right. That's super exciting for me to talk about. Or or when we start talking about Tool, yeah. um, a lot of their rhythmic complexity is going to be a lot of fun to yep. talk about. And so, you know, there's there's places for it, and, and uh, you know, and it works for certain artists, and, and it has 
But it was it's just not like, like I said, it's not like more counts as more and exactly. is, is automatically better. I mean, just these artists that were writing this music, it was just, um, there's a reason why this music feels timeless. Yeah. Right. And, and just feels like it still, even today, feels relevant. Testify. Okay, so we're almost 20 minutes into this episode, and we've still only talked about 12-bar blues, which is okay, because it's is massively important, like we mentioned before, and it's um, especially with this, this first generation of, of rock artists. But it would behoove us to move on and talk about a few other um, structures of music. So Right, yeah, so like song form. Um, now, it's as we're, we're grouping these things together, and, and actually the overall title for this um, for this episode is song form, and that that almost kind of intimates that uh, twelve bar blues and song form are synonymous. Like like twelve bar blues is a type of song form. And it's not completely true. Um, twelve bar blues is a, a structure of music that's sort of specific to a genre. Um, and but it doesn't really describe how like verse and chorus are happening. Yeah, I mean like verse and chorus could be happening in different ways across twelve bar blues. So twelve bar blues is just showing us the the phrases how how the phrases are grouped together. Um, but with song form, that's that's stepping out maybe a little bit more broadly, and we're just we're gonna look at how is the song organized overall. And so we'll we'll look at a few examples of some early rock songs and uh, mention some of the names of these song forms. And again, song form is just a way to see similarities in how um, different composers or songwriters will organize their songs. They're just there are certain things that are just almost standard. They they happen so often. I mean, we're all um, all of us grow up just absorbing the sounds around the music around us, and so. Songwriters, you know, when they sit down to start writing something, they're they're bringing all that baggage with them. You know, that just kind of a song will feel right, uh, just because we've grown up, you know, recognizing that, um, you know, four, four group, four bars and four four that feels like a phrase, or or eight bars and four four that feels like a phrase, or you know, this many phrases that feels like a section and then it's time for a new section. And so, you know, like, oh, four phrases, it's time for a new section. You know, we we just had these four lines within this verse. I think I need a chorus now. And now the chorus is going to be four lines. And so now we need to go back to another verse or now it's time for a bridge. And so those things, they, they just feel natural because that's what we're absorbing all the time. But the way that these organized, they're standard enough um, that there there are names given to these these forms of songs, and it's not like songwriters sit down and think, you know, today I'm going to write something in simple verse. Uh, th- it, not at all. But but what you can do is is music theorists will then on the back end after the music has been composed and all that, then you know music historians and theorists will look at it and say, oh, okay, this is what they did, this is how they did it, and then so it's just really a way of describing what has already happened. It's not a tool that you use on the front end when you're trying to create something, unless. Um, you know, you're like a composer who is being hired to write music that is supposed to sound a certain way. Then that's where you use some of these things on the front end. You know, like if somebody hires you to say, hey, I want something that's going to sound bluesy, you'll think 12-bar blues. Or I want something that's going to sound, you know, they could just give you a list of things. I want it to sound kind of like this or kind of like this. And so you can say, well, okay, well, the, what you're mentioning, what you want it to sound like uh, is in simple verse form. And it uses these chords. And so I'll write something that's kind of in a similar structure and sort of a similar chord uh, 
chord progression. And this is where I'm going to um, dive into using the John Kovash and Andrew Flory textbook that I've cited numerous times in other episodes. Uh, the section he has on song form is is well done, and, and I like the examples that he uses. And so I'm going to borrow from from him. I'm going to quote some of the the um, quote some of his descriptions that he has for song form and his definitions, as well as use the the examples that he that he uses because I I think they're just perfect. Yeah. So I'll I'll be the first one to read from our Kovash textbook, and for the um, the section on simple verse form. So he actually points out what we were just trying to stumble through, and, and of course he says it perfectly. He says, quote, Repetitive structures like the 12-bar blues and the doo-wop progression often combine to form larger structural patterns, end quote. And then um, down here he says, uh, As these patterns repeat, we may think of them differently depending on what aspects are repeated. A verse is defined as a section with repeating music and non-repeating lyrics. And that's an important distinction to make. So what you said, or just heard there, right? The verse is the music repeats, but the lyrics are different each time the music repeats. As opposed to a chorus, the chorus, you know, the music will repeat. And, and usually it'll be like a contrasting sort of material from the verse material. Um, but also, not only does the music repeat, the, but the lyrics repeat as well. I mean, that's why so many, all of us know the chorus to a song, you know, the, uh, that we listen to. But but very often people don't know the verses quite as well. Yeah, I mean, just the other night, uh, I had the opportunity to, um, a friend of mine had uh, two tickets to the Smashing Pumpkins concert down here in, in, in Chula Vista. And um, and so, you know, he brought me along, which was, was really cool. Shout out to James Larson, my good buddy. And uh, what was funny is, is so many parts of, you know, b- actually right before Smashing Pumpkins was the, you know, the reimagined Stone Temple Pilots um, with Jeff Goot as their their new vocalist, um, which, you know, he did a great job. It's just it's not Scott Wayland. I just, you know, miss having him there. But anyway, um, what was funny with both Stone Temple Pilots and Smashing Pumpkins there's throughout the songs that are the big hits that everyone knows you know there are portions there's, there's quite a few people that are singing during the verses but i mean just when the choruses would come along that's where like everyone just everyone starts singing you know everyone's standing up and chiming in and and, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, the difference between a song that's a, a radio hit and then one that just kind of becomes a deep track on the album is the chorus, right? Does it have a catchy enough chorus to, to really um, appeal to a lot of people? Yeah, so the first uh, song form that uh, John Kovash and Andrew Flory talk about in this section is simple verse form. And in here, uh, just quoting from him again, um, a simple verse form is a form that employs only verses. And the one of the examples he uses in, in here is Elvis Presley's Heartbreak Hotel. Yeah, I mean Heartbreak Hotel has uh, five verses, so it has first four verses, and then it has an instrumental verse, and then a verse five. I guess that makes six verses. Okay, it has five vocal verses and one instrumental verse, but there's no chorus. So if you ever listen to it, um, the first verse is eight measures, then the second verse is eight measures. The third verse is eight measures. The fourth verse is eight measures. The instrumental verse is eight measures, you know, with having a guitar solo for the first four and then a piano solo after that. And then verse five is eight measures. 
Yeah, but one thing we could point out is um, at the end of each of the verses, you know, he repeats the, you know, I'll be so lonely, baby. I'll be so lonely, so lonely, I could die. That's verse one, right? Verse two, they'll be so lonely. They'll be so lonely, they could die. Um, Verse three is, again, we are so lonely, they could die. So each of them ends similarly, which almost functions like a chorus, um, even though the, the rest of the verse is different. And even within that that final section, there's a few little differences, but just that that uh, so lonely, so lonely, someone could die. That feels very chorusy to me. So it almost has like a a faux chorus in there. Could we say that? I will allow it. Um, okay. So the next uh, song form that he talks about is called A A B A form. Now, this is not a form of um, behavioral intervention. <laughs> My wife's a behavioral scientist, and it just seems like the letters ABA are like incorporated into like every single acronym that 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 whole field uses. But anyway, um, so AABA form. This is talking about uh, within music, when we break it down to sections, a lot of times um, when we see like repeating sections, we'll label them. So the A section uh, obviously is the first one and then the B section, and then sometimes it might be followed by another A section, or sometimes the A section and it might repeat, and then you have a B section, and then the A section comes back again. And that's that happens so much where the you have an A section followed by an A section followed by a B section that goes back to the A section. That is an actual, like, standardized song form called A-A-B-A. And so, yeah, I mean, it's so standardized. I mean, this is like Tin Pan Alley every song ever written by Tin Pan Alley practically is, is this is what they do right here is this AAB. Well, yeah, and the, and the Kovash Flory textbook even points that out. So quoting from the textbook, the song form most associated with mainstream pop before the birth of rock and roll is AABA form. This is one of the most common formal patterns in Tin Pan Alley songs. So though you just said right there and usually occurs in a 32 bar scheme that combines four eight bar phrases and then um, here's some of the, the songs that it gives as examples um, that use this form. Over the Rainbow, I'm Sitting on Top of the World, Hey Good Looking. Remember, that's a Hank Williams song. And uh, and then actually also one of our, our Fats Domino songs, Blueberry Hill. Yeah, and, and it should be noted that um, often what happens is that that pattern, the A, A, B, A, those, those four sections... Usually, a lot of times that's then repeated. So you'll you'll have A A B A, and then you'll have A A B A again. And when that happens, it's called a full reprise. Jerry Lee Lewis's "Great Balls of Fire" is an example of A A B A with full reprise. Sometimes, however, though, is you will only have what is called a partial reprise. So you'll have A A B A followed by then just a B A. Wait, that was confusing. So A A B A, and then. B A. <laughs> it's hard to use the you know like the A and when you're talking about the letters A. Oh my gosh! Stop talking. Does this okay. make sense? No, it's not. All right. So, so for example, Blueberry Hill. Um, it starts off with a four measure introduction, followed by the A section the first time, which is a eight measures. Then the A section again for another eight measures. Then the B section, which functions like a bridge, and that's eight measures. Then the A section again, which is eight measures. So that was our A, A, B, A. And then we have a partial reprise. So the B section comes back one more time for eight measures, followed by the A section one more time for eight measures. Yeah. So you just really only have two musical ideas. And then what you're doing is you're just milking them for all they're worth to make a whole song, right? And 
you have one kind of main idea, that's the A, and that's the one that comes back the most. That's usually going to be maybe kind of thought of like a verse. And then your B idea, even though you don't have verse and chorus in A, A, B, A, but um, but your B will be, a lot of times it's, it's repeated, so it almost feels like a chorus, um, although sometimes it'll just be, like in this case, a bridge. Yeah, so songwriters don't really need to come up with a ton of material for a song. They just need to come up with just a couple of decent ideas and then from there they can just structure it out to create the entire song okay our next song form we're going to talk about is called simple verse chorus so uh, quoting from the Koash textbook when a single musical pattern is used as the basis for both verses and choruses in a song the resulting form is called simple verse chorus so what does that mean it's talking about uh, basically when the same musical material is used for both the verse and the chorus. So you might have, right, the verses are different lyrics, the chorus, the choruses are the same lyrics, but all the way through for both the verse and chorus, you're going to have the same music. Right, and so the example that Kovash has in the textbook is Can the Circle Be Unbroken by the Carter Family, which is a song that we we looked at way back in episode three. Right, and so then the last uh, song form we'll look at is called Contrasting Verse Chorus, which I'm sure you can guess what this is. This is where the verse and the chorus is uh, different material, contrasting material. So the example that they have in here for this is is uh, the Crickets song, That'll Be the Day. And uh, actually, that's a song we'll be looking at when we cover Buddy Holly, so we don't need to go too much into it now. But um, just quickly, the structure of it, it starts off with an introduction that's two measures, and then the chorus is eight measures, then a verse for eight measures, then back to the chorus for eight measures, then it does an instrumental bridge for 12 measures, followed by chorus for eight, verse for eight, chorus for eight, and then kind of a little outro ending kind of thing for eight more measures. But yeah, as opposed to can the circle be unbroken, where the musical material is the same for the verse and the chorus um, in That'll Be the Day, you have different musical material for the verse and the chorus. And this is actually more common, uh, you know, seeing the, the contrasting verse-chorus. Uh, it's, it's not as often that you see the same material being used, at least in, in um, more modern music. I guess in, in older folk music, you might see that a little more often with uh, the just the same verse-chorus material used throughout. But that actually wraps up all of our song forms that we wanted to talk about today. So quick review, we talked about 12-bar blues, which is a structure of having three groups of four measures. Uh, And then we also talked about simple verse form, which is all the verses based on the same music with no chorus. And then there's simple verse chorus, which is verses and choruses based on the same music. Then contrasting verse chorus, which is verses and choruses based on different music. And then AABA, which is verses and bridge based on different music can employ full or partial reprise. And I think that's that kind of wraps up everything we wanted to talk about, right? Yeah, so as we look at more music uh, throughout the progression of this podcast, uh, we'll probably bring up these terms again. Don't worry, each time I bring them up, I'll, I'll definitely throw in like a, a real brief little reminder of, of what it is, just so that, um, you know, because I'm not expecting people to be memorizing this. Although if this was my class, I would be expecting you to be taking notes, memorizing it, and preparing for the quiz. Yeah, because there's nothing more rock and roll than taking notes and taking quizzes. <laughs> Right. Yeah, the, you kind of 
a lot of times music theory kind of sucks the fun out of the music for, for a lot of people. But I know that there are some people out there who really are legitimately interested in this. I cannot be the only one. So hopefully this helps um, just give, shed some light on the structures of music. And until next time, you know what to do. Oh, yeah. Keep it deep. Keep it deep. Maintain a maximum level of depthness. Damn it, Doug, you are this close to joining Delta Doug in the car. <laughs> <laughs>